Welcome to the Nichols Tally Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life and take your business to the next level. This week on the podcast, we're chatting with George Galantis. George Galantis is a Marine Corps combat veteran with over 10 years of experience overseeing collaborative teams and managing complex projects in high-pressure, rapidly changing environments. Today, George empowers people to move through the toughest days of their lives at the art of tough transitions. He's a single dad to a five-year-old daughter. George lives in New Hampshire, where he enjoys the great outdoors. Don't forget to check out my A through Z online personal finance course called Get Out of Debt Like a Maniac. It's got over 50 video lessons covering debt, budgeting, cutting expenses, credit, and more. And it's constantly being updated based on the most frequently asked questions by members. Plus, I'll be around every single week doing a live weekly group training with members of the course to help ensure their financial success. That could be you. Riddle of the week, why do dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. This episode is professionally mixed and mastered by the one the only the grand singer they used to call him an audio wizard in college and now they're still calling him an audio wizard he's still got it if you'd like grant to audio engineer your podcast film or music click the link to singerville.com in the show notes or reach out to him on instagram at grant e singer that was the intro now here is the episode hello and welcome this is the nicholas tally show i'm your host nicholas tally today we have a very special guest george clancis george season's greetings hey what's going on thanks for having me yeah it's that time of the year it's I'm pretty excited, actually. Yeah, me too. I think a good season is to come. Christmas? Yeah. I mean, I got a five-year-old, so it's it makes it a lot uh, more interesting these days, for sure. Yeah, more joyful, I imagine. Here's where I want to start in your journey. Let's start out with your experiences as a teenager. You are the firstborn son of a Greek family, and you found yourself getting involved with drugs and alcohol pretty early on in life. What do you think were the driving factors for you getting involved with that so early? Uh, you know, I mean, addiction comes from my family on both sides, for sure. Uh, mother's side, definitely like alcoholic, binge drinkers, stuff like that, into into drugs a little bit. And then my father's side, more gambling and um, fast-paced society. So I'm sure genetically or um, transitionally somewhere that was bred into me uh, subconsciously, but Reality, I think for me, it was uh, because I never felt like I was enough in life. I had to fit in. And mm-hmm. one way to fit in was to force myself to be the cool kid. And so by getting involved in drugs and alcohol, I was that cool kid partying, drinking, and doing all the things, right? And it's interesting yeah. because what made us cool back then is definitely uncool. And what made us uncool is cool today. So it's very interesting how that works out. Yeah, it's a big flip-flop. Uh, the older you get, like the the balance and the teetering changes, like this is only cool, and then you hit the age or whatever, and it switches into unhealthy behaviors. I'm coming up on almost almost three years sobriety, and uh, not that I'm Let's against go. alcohol or anything. It's just uh, I have other priorities in my life now. Yeah, rightfully so. After high school and after that time, you went straight into the Marine Corps, is my understanding. Did any of those behaviors carry with you into the day-to-day of the Marine Corps lifestyle? Oh, yeah, for sure. You don't just become a Marine because you're like, hey, I want to become a Marine. I mean, that's like a very few rare population. Most of the Marines I met have some type of addictive personality or some type of crazy background. So it carried on. Um, Marine Corps is awesome, but, you know, we're young. And at the time that I joined, it was 2001, 2002. So the war just started. So you can imagine what went down when you're 18 and 19 years old. Um, as you're preparing to go out to war, I mean, luckily I, I never went directly into a firefight or anything like that, but you know, you're having a good time and you're drinking and you're partying a lot. And, uh, 
the addictive personalities carry on for sure, especially in 2004 when I lost my best friend to Iraq, a uh, roadside bomb. And uh, I felt shameful and guilty for his death while I was about to go overseas and guard American embassies. And I had to come home and obviously do his burial and things like that. And that, that stuck with me for many years. So rather than take a break like the Marine Corps suggested, I said, no, no, I'm ready. I'm good to go. I went overseas for three years and I became manic. Um, one day, like one day I was good. Another day I wasn't, I was drinking, I was binge drinking, I was um, breaking curfews and really just felt out of control. And the only time I did fall out of control, feel in control was when I was drinking a lot or, uh, breaking Mm -hmm. rules and things like that. And so in 2007, I got sent home from Brazil and they diagnosed me with major depressive disorder. And of course, being a 23, 24 year old male in the Marine Corps, I'm like, fuck that shit. I'm not depressed. I'm good to go. This is part of life. And yeah. so I stormed out of the office, acted like it never happened, denied all the um, help that they wanted to give me back in the day and uh, carried on with my life. And unfortunately, that caught up to me in more ways than I wanted to. I drank a lot more. Um, I got a DUI. And towards that end, I um, had to make the decision to leave the Marine Corps after 10 years, honorably. So I had the choice to stay in. I could have stayed in. I could have been half, I could have retired this year. I would have been honorably discharged, no problem. Um, but I had never gotten in trouble and I didn't want to sit in the ranks with that much shame and guilt mm-hmm. and just dishonor. So I chose to get out. So it definitely stayed with me. And I talk about this, you know, for many people listening, there's often this idea, like if we just keep going somewhere in life or we choosing to do something that like eventually, you know, time will heal our hearts or time will, time will get over it. But reality, the past doesn't just walk away from you. It will follow you everywhere you go until you find the courage to stop and really dig deeper than the surface, like to go backwards, to really live forward. And that's a big concept I learned over the last few years of my life. Yeah. Confront it head on. What did you find when you confronted the shame and guilt aspect of losing your friend to Iraq? Because I imagine that is, that's a complicated emotion to tackle head, headstrong like that. What did you end up finding? Yeah, so that took me a long, long time. I didn't really recently discover that until writing the book, actually. Um, for, ma- for many years, like I, I pushed that down and acted like it didn't happen and stuff like that. So I remember getting out of the Marine Corps and my girlfriend, then wife, whatever. Um, she was always telling me, you know, like, you got to see someone. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And I just felt like as if it was my fault. But when I accepted his death and, and realized it wasn't my fault, that he died honorably and that was part of it. Um, that he would have wanted me to be living my life like I'm living today. Then the shame kind of disseminated and I kind of fed that demon what he wanted really. And what he wanted was acceptance of death and also to acknowledge like, you know, it, it was part of our job, right? Yeah. So the shame that I carried was just like inside internally, again, feeling as if I wasn't enough. Like I wasn't a good Marine, you know, mm. that's what it was. Mm. And that sounds like it stems from something even beyond that, like since this has this trail of never of enoughness. And I think I've heard you speak on it. Maybe your family dynamic played into that as well. Your your father was less expressive with his emotions and your mom was working a lot. So you constantly felt like you had to work to prove something. Do you think that is where it originated? And now it's just tracking through each of these things? Yeah, I mean, much of my life, I felt like I was never enough for sure, up until just a few years ago. Um, and that, that came from obviously being the firstborn son of the Greek family and then 
being giving my grandfather's name and to be able to live that heritage, but also mm. because my dad was never around and he told me to be a man at a young age, I felt like I had to prove myself that I was worthy of a man. And um, so I joined the Marine Corps to prove to everyone except for myself that I wasn't a failure. And, you know, I just kept chasing things. Like, I'm like, okay, if I do this, this is the best of the best. If I achieve the best of the best, then I'll be a man enough to, you know, be worthy enough in life. And yeah, I had all those amazing things. But, you know, if you know my story, I was miserable inside. Yeah. And it caused depression and almost took my life and caused divorce and many other things that really got me here today to write this book and to be here speaking to you. I'm happy you're here speaking to me today. I'm happy the journey has, has our paths crossing. You've touched on like achieving things to feel worthy of things. And I think I've heard you talk about how type A personalities almost have like a hard time owning their mess because it's creating this outside image of look at all these things that I'm achieving. Look how hard I can work. When inside, you know, you're not always facing those things. Why do you think it's hard for type A personalities to start owning their mess instead of masking? I mean, I think it, 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 a lot of people do this, maybe maybe more type A, more personally, just because I, I was one and am one um, still. But I think it's because we're putting our self-worth in other things, like outside mm. of ourself, right? And so it's the way we were taught, right? Most of us were taught these implicit and explicit messages about life, the way we think we need to be or how we should, quote, right, should show up in life. And so the way we were taught makes us feel as if, if we're not doing a certain thing or on a certain path in life, then, you know, we're not productive, we're not successful, we're not enough, right? But in reality, when you ask yourself, like, what is your relationship to slowing down? Like, really? Like, why are you afraid to take a day off for yourself and go on a mountain or, or, or go away for the day and not do any technology? Like, why are you afraid to meditate for five or 10 minutes in the morning? Like, what is this, this thing that you're running from? And can you find the courage to go, like, beneath the surface a little bit more to remove the mask and to see, like, what happens when you give yourself permission to sit in silence? Because silence is it's the key, right? It's the key to the freedoms we seek. Many people don't understand that, but it really is. Man, uh, you touched on so many good things there. I, I listened to this book the other day and one of the quotes was, you think you're so tough? Why don't you take a day off then? <laughs> like, yeah. Like you're such a tough person, but you won't, you won't take a nap in the middle of the day. That's how tough you are. And uh, I think that's so true to our core of like, we're constantly filling with things that we get distracted and we don't, we don't reflect on who we are or who we're even becoming. Yeah. I mean, look at, have someone look at their, like whoever's listening to this, like you feel unproductive or you feel lost or you feel stressed. Like look at your, look at your phone and, and see what it tells you. How much time do you spend on social media? How many times do you check your email? Like what is that time? Right. And that's going to tell you where you're wasting time, even though you feel like you're productive. Right. You got to mm-hmm. be truthful with yourself. And for a long time I wasn't, you know, and this is something I don't talk about much, but you know, I'm in, I'm in the, Brand new, just starting this brand, brand new book, brand new brand, the art of tough transitions. All these things are new, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand or what maybe they don't see is that this path that I've chosen is one of the most difficult paths I've ever chosen. But I'm actually the happiest I've ever been because I'm following my dreams and following my heart. Now, what I'm not saying is if you have a dream, just quit what you're doing to go because that's yeah. definitely not, yeah. the, not the way to do it. Um, but what I'm saying is 
you know, we all have choices in life and every choice we make comes with a consequence. And I can tell you if what you're feeling inside is not aligned with the choices that you're making, then there's a disconnect there. And you're mm. always going to be a slave to the past or living someone else's dream if you're really not living in your authentic power. We hear a lot about that, but what does that mean? To me, it means that you're making choices that are aligned with what you're feeling inside and that you're living your truth by moving in the direction of your hearts and your dreams. Yeah. And I, and I imagine with that, there's probably all the the fear and self-doubt or limiting beliefs about ourselves that are holding us back from maybe even listening to it to start with and then to even act on it. I think even some of us will hear it and we're like, whoa, 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 I can't do that or there's yeah. no way I'm going to do that. And I think it boils down to that self-reflection once again. For sure. And self-sabotage is always going to come up. It's part of being human, right? Mm. Um, but yeah. it, it's, it's this awareness of every time of why is it coming up? So usually self-sabotage comes up, I believe when we're on the verge of a massive breakthrough, right? Ah. So here we are, we're living mm -hmm. our everyday lives. It tends to comes up a lot more when you're, when you're about to like embark onto something new, right? Maybe you're about to go deeper in your relationship. You're about to either advance in your career or about to start a new career, right? Whatever it is. And the reason why it comes up is because at one point in your life, you had this limited belief or this trigger due to an experience that told you that you were going to fail or that you weren't enough or that you weren't worthy. But it's our fucking birthright to live in an abundance, to be able to live in the direction of our hearts and dreams. And so many yeah. people are afraid that and fear is normal, but challenge that fear because you're never going to know, you know, what's on the other side if you don't give yourself permission to do it. Yeah, very true. The, the time we have is limited and uh, our dreams aren't going to wait forever. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. And I think we're, you know, we're definitely on that, that verge where people are starting to, you know, detach from the everyday norms and the patriarchal society and stuff like that. But a lot of people are still stuck in a, in a world of limited beliefs because of the way they were taught. And so the only way to start really shattering those limited beliefs is to find a community right? That will support you and lift you up, but also do one little thing to get you going in that direction. Yeah. Push you forward each day. Yeah. Let's jump back into your story where you are, we talked about the, the DUI and then also your girlfriend that then became your wife. I want to know how much did she know at the time that you were going through that stuff? Were you hiding any of these addiction behaviors from her or did she know and it was like part of the relationship dynamic you know she she always she definitely cared for me and she always told me that i needed to get help but i was a stubborn marine and blindsided i was like i don't need help i'm good to go mm -hmm. right and so in and the thing with that is when i when i with her like we were always having fun and traveling the world so it wasn't necessarily a problem it was only a problem when it became a problem mm. you know and that was probably and it really became a problem when we had when we had our daughter and uh I would come home exhausted and drink and just fight and, you know, um, be miserable and not talk about what I was feeling and just grind away at hours and hours and hours and hours and just never be able to communicate to what I was feeling because yeah. I had the, the story in my head, just like I saw growing up, man provides for the family. He's always gone. It's good to go no matter what. And that's yeah. exactly what I did. I thought that's what a man was supposed to do. Provide, work hard, bam. Now I did the best with what I knew, but going back, if I could do it again, which I can't because it already happened, 
But I would probably definitely say like, hey, I'm a little bit tired today. Like, I just want to come home and just chill out, you know, or like, hey, I have a 12 hour day. Like, is there a way that maybe you could leave some food for me in the fridge instead of come home and yell and do some, I don't know, whatever, you know, but whatever the response um, was, I just didn't have the, the emotional capacity or the emotional IQ to process what I was feeling because I was so stressed inside. Mm. And usually if, if you've never been given the safe space, which I was never given the safe space to do that, um, I just repressed it like most men. What was the straw that finally broke the camel's back? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was me filing for divorce for sure. Mm. Uh, filing for divorce is one of the most challenging choices I've ever made because I knew it was going to tear all of our worlds apart, not just mine, but hers too. You know, both identities, um, because we had the perfect world. No one knew what was going on inside of our lives. And so when I filed for divorce, you know, what would happen, you know, she would be exposed. Um, I would be exposed. And then obviously because my identity was so attached to being the perfect husband and father, and having his yeah. life together, when that got shattered, it crushed me. And it made me feel like a failure. It made me feel like I wasn't enough. So I turned to drugs and sex and um, alcohol really bad. And about a year after, like a year of going through all that, it, it forced me to almost take my life. Man, tell me about that day. I want to I want to know from like the moment you wake up to the time you find yourself in that uh, parking lot. Yeah, so you know, to be truthful, I, I read about it in the book that day is, is a blur. Mm. And, but the, the feelings and the emotions are not a blur. So all I know is I, I woke up late that morning, exhausted, hungover. I'm just feeling like shit, worthless. I had so much shame inside, so much hurt, so much pain, so much anger. And the only way I had been planning my death actually for a while, um, mm. which a lot of people don't know about because um, I, when I was planning my death, I felt in control of my life. And that was the time where I would, I would have conversations with death, even, you know, presence over me for the last 15, 20 years anyways. So I've been planning my death over the last few years. I just didn't know when. So I'd bought a gun. Yeah. I had that gun. It was in my car the whole time. And I woke up late and I just was hungover, exhausted. And I found myself in the middle of a parking lot with a, a gun, you know, a gun inside my mouth. And, um, I had pulled the trigger thousands of times in my life. But for some reason, something out there saved me. And I and I have a little, you know, semicolon heart on my on my wrist. And it has two meanings. The love that my daughter had for me saved my life, but also the love that I had for myself saved my life. And um, that was it. You know, my body turned numb. I thought I actually was dead. I thought I was in heaven or whatever you want to call it. But reality, I was just there numb and frozen, crying, snots down my face and um, shocked. And, um, I called, I went on my phone and, and went through as many people's pick. And then one of my good friends picked up and he's like, he's like, man, I'm going to talk to you for hours until you show me that you're in a safe space. And, um, he's still, he's, you know, one of my good friends today, man, he was there for you. I, I'm happy to hear that. And I can only imagine. It sounds like you had like a realization, like there is a gun in my mouth and this is a decision I was going to make. And I, I'm not going to do that. Like that sounds like a big realization. Yeah. I mean, I have my photo of my daughter still on my, on my dashboard and everything. Um, but my body literally turned numb. And to my surprise, death didn't take my life that day. It wasn't there to take my life. It was there to show me that everything that I was feeling had a purpose and that, that my story matters and that my voice matters and that I had so much more to tell. 
and that was the start of it. You know, I, I hired, uh, you know, a few days later, I was on the phone with Trevor Boham, hired him as a coach and just, uh, you know, hacking credit cards to really invest in my life and to change the way that I showed up to the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, two, three years later, here's a book. Is there anything from that call or anybody else that you talked to that night that has stuck with you? No, I think it was just honestly just having a safe space to be like, I- I'm, this is what happened. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm worthy enough or life enough. And uh, having those people in my in my circle at that time made, made me, you know, go. It was the first time I ever had a therapist as well. Like all of these things were just in action. And I would say like the ability to be able to do that came from my, you know, the 10 years in the Marine Corps, the strength that I did have deep within. I just didn't know it was there. Mm-hmm. Now it's taken on a new, a new, new form. Yeah, for sure. Next, I imagined comes the... The battle of getting sober and staying sober. Where does that where does that journey start for you? For sure. So it started with uh, hiring Traver as a coach and to work with him. He said no alcohol, no sex, no no alcohol, no porn, whatever. And so sex was one of the the bigger addictions, which I'm still battling. Actually, I write about it all the time. But um, alcohol was not too bad. And I was like, okay. I remember being at the lake with my friend July Fourth weekend, um, just a little bit after you know the event and we were talking about it and I was sitting with a beer in my hand and we were chatting about it. I was like, you know, I look around and I'm thinking I'm so fucked up, but everyone else is so fucked up around me. Like what the hell am I (laughs) doing with this life? And like, what's the point of this? You know? And I, and I put that beer down and that was my last beer. And, um, I'll I'll never forget that day. He's a good friend still. And, uh, I just, I wanted to experience life and I didn't want to be like giving away my self-worth into a beverage because like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd have one beverage and then one would turn to two and two would turn to three. Like I couldn't just have one. Yeah. Um, and that was the thing with me. Like I didn't drink every day, you know, I did here and there during the darkness time, but like for me, I was a binge drinker and that means that when I did drink, I drank a lot and I wouldn't stop. Yeah. yeah. And so I just, I, I have that personality. And, um, so hiring Traver, we worked together for 12 weeks and then, I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And so I, I went to AA and did some things. And here I am almost three years and I'm still taking it one day at a time. I haven't had any cravings for alcohol in a long time. Um, but I, I chose to, you know, go writing, uh, do writing, go hiking and just enjoy life a little bit more and detach from that life. Mm. And um, it's not easy. You know, those, those, those demons still arise. But instead of like, get a drink or give them what they want. Like I, I like have a conversation with them. I go a little bit deeper, like, okay, why do I have this craving? Like, where's this feeling? Am I feeling shitty because I'm alone right now and I'm divorced? Am I, um, am I looking at my finances from divorce and starting a new business? Oh, that's making me feel like I'm not worth enough, you know, whatever it is. And I acknowledge Mm -hmm. these feelings and I give myself a little bit of permission to feel into it. And then my, my first go-to is to like, go move my body, do some push-ups, go on a walk. And then I write. So those are my two goals. And it sounds like you're also finding fulfillment in better things, finding a, a replacement for the previous thing. Here's something that I that I have a, a question about. Sure. You also went on a retreat and it was on your path to get sober. It was no phones, no social media. And you did some breathing exercises that allowed you to tap into old memories and gain insights as to a path moving forward. Can you describe me that experience you had while doing those breathing exercises and what it was like revisiting those memories? Yeah. So that was my first experience ever with uh, breath work. 
I had, I had, you know, done some Wim Hof breathing. I knew what that was as a performance coach, but like, this was totally different because with Wim Hof, you know, you feel good after, but it's more of like a, a state of mind, right? It's, it's like, you know, five, 10 minutes, you're doing some breathing, you feel good, changes your, your blood physiology. And, and then you're able to just like control the way you're experiencing like cold or breath or whatever it is. But with, with this type of breath work, it, it was like a therapy in a funnel. And uh, it was like a, <laughs> basically like a hack into your nervous system that allowed you space to just feel the things that you never wanted to feel. Mm. And so when you just breathe in a way that opens up your whole entire system, you're basically transforming the way that you feel inside to expose the way that you show up to the outside. So let's see at 34 years old, yeah, 34, 35 years old, uh, years of repressed anger, resentment, shame, hate, all the emotions that I just pushed down, right? The death, yeah all of it, the DUI, the binge drinking from childhood, that was all there inside my body, right? The body keeps score. And so when I started to breathe, it gave me the safe space to feel. And the first thing that came up was that I thought I was going there for divorce, but in reality, I was going there to process everything that I didn't want to feel before divorce. And one of those was mm. the death of my friend. And so I mm. saw that and the hate and, you know, my body heated up and flashbacks to there. Um, and I just started crying. I remember they had to remove me to make sure I was safe. And I started crying. I had a meltdown. And uh, I felt like I was high after the experience. And I dove into the pool to like, it was like a blessing. I don't know. I was, I was really high. Yeah. And while everybody was away, I went on a walk. Like I was so high. I felt like I was tripping in another world. Like it, it induced some state. And I went out all alone on a walk and they thought I was like gone, gone. And they came and found me like, you can't do that. And then after that, I broke <laughs> yeah. down in front of everybody. I was like, I never felt loved in my life. I never felt enough. Like, I feel like everything was my fault. And everybody gave me a big hug and it told me, you know, that you have a lot of love and that you can love yourself. It was the first time, like, that I was ever said, like, you have to love yourself first. And I was like, oh, okay. What do you think took you to that high? Was it the fact that is like, I finally faced this thing that has caused me so much turmoil? You know, I, f I found this thing that has been like choking me out from the inside. And now I feel a little bit more free from it. What do you think it was? I think it was just, yeah, I, I'd never cried like that before. Mm. And crying is powerful, right? Like it, it's, it's a way, it's, it's a way for our body to literally release so many different types of emotions, happiness, joy, sadness, whatever. And so I'd never gave myself permission to cry. I'd never cried really up until, you know, that, that whole year. Um, I didn't even cry when I had my daughter, you know, I didn't know how to cry. I didn't know how to access those feelings. And so when I cried like that, I just, I felt like I was in another world and the breathing just induced like some type of holotropic response. Um, because that's just what it does when you breathe for 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Hello friends. This is Nicholas Itali. And each week I bring you just a scrumptious episode for you to eat up. If you are tuning in right now, consider this your sign to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because we're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews as quickly as possible. Helps boost the podcast and it helps enable more people to live a fulfilling life and have a resource that helps them do it. And send this to two of your friends that you think would enjoy this episode. Head to courses.nicholastally.com to enroll in the Get Out of Debt Like a Maniac course. It's a course that helps you get out of debt, learn to manage your money, and build a life toward financial freedom. And may we never forget in this episode, professionally mixed and mastered by a man who needs no introduction, Grant Singer. 
If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast, film, or music, reach out to him on Instagram at Grant E. Singer. His handle will be in the show notes, or reach out to him through Singerville.com. Please reach out to him, guys. I can't keep... I'm throwing scraps and leftovers outside, and he's garbling, gargling them up left and right. I can't keep doing this. I can't. I need you guys to reach out to him, or at least cook him a warm meal. He's out there waiting, pacing back and forth. His foot's getting tired from tapping it. He's got heck of, heck, heck of a ankle muscle that's being formed, though. I'll give you that. But patience can only last so long. Reach out to him. Shoot him an email at grant at nicholsitali.com and, and, and have him mix or master your podcast, film, or music, baby. All right. Back to the episode. Yeah, you can reach those places. Let's talk about some of those, those limiting beliefs that maybe you had previously and now. How does, how does one go about identifying their own limiting beliefs and then working through them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone's going to be different, right? But here, here's something that I, I've learned. So with limiting beliefs, like, you know what you're always coming up against, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's just say it's with relationships, all right? If you find yourself that you're constantly like, in a dating cycle where you're never finding the right person, okay? There's probably a limited belief somewhere that you feel like as if you're not enough. Is that if like, you know, all guys are assholes or all women are bitches or whatever, whatever it is, right? And so even though you want a relationship and you want a solid partner, if you feel that inside, you're creating a tug of war that is never going to allow you to step into your highest version of yourself to meet that person that you are worthy of, right? Mm -hmm. And so you got to look at that belief first because you can't have both beliefs and still want something. It doesn't work like that. So the first step is really taking a look at your life and all the the main areas, like your health, your finances, your career, your sex, your like basically list all the areas in life that you're, that you're catered to, whatever it is. And then like, just list some of the beliefs that you have, like, okay, with my career, like I'm never getting promoted. I never feel like I'm getting paid enough, whatever, list them all out. And then, then you go and see where those stories come from. This takes a while. Right. And then you create a new belief, like, okay, I'm never going to get promoted. Right. Well, what can I do to get promoted? I can um, ask for a raise. Have I ever asked for a raise? No. Well, why don't I go ask for a raise? (laughs) (laughs) Or um, do I need to, you know, work a little bit harder or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you just go through those things and and you ask yourself, uh, Byron Katie, right? Her work. It's like a six step process. Like, okay, whatever limited belief, is this story true? Mm. Um, I think so. Is it 100% true? No. Okay, cool. What is the opposite version of that story? And you list that out, right? And then what is it that you want from this story? And then what can you learn from this story? And you just go through and that's how you start identifying them. But you have to be honest with yourself. And that's why you have a coach and a therapist because you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. One, it's a scary thing to be honest with yourself. And then two, everybody has blind spots. I'm like, I met a therapist and a coach is like holding a mirror to ourselves and saying, here's what you're not seeing. And here's what you can become. Yeah, for sure. During this part of the journey, you mentioned how it was a really, it's been a really difficult choice to go create this brand, create this book. What, 
has been the difficult aspects about this thus far? Yeah, the, the difficult aspect for me is more of that separation of the old identity, like the Marine and the MBAs, mm-hmm. things like that. Those are the things that I spent a lot of time creating in life. And so it's yeah. only still a few years into my life of you know letting all that go. So there's still the voices or the demons that tell me like, hey, you have an MBA, you could be doing X, Y, Z in life, right? Look at all um, these other options. Look at all yeah. these distractions you could have. Yeah, <laughs> Right. But like, I'll be miserable if I go that route, right? So yeah. I, like, I like my struggle right now because mm-hmm. within my struggle, there's a lot of strength and there's a lot of stories to tell. And to me, that's a beautiful work of art. Yeah. And it's your choice in comparison to some of the other trials that you faced, like some of these other things were external factors in your life that became trials. And this is like, no, this is something I want. This is something I'm going to do. And it's yours. Yeah. I mean, this, that's the main premise of, of like my one-on-one coaching. Like what I do is, I don't, are you familiar with the hero's journey? I'm sure you are. Hit me. Yeah. So Joseph Campbell, right. He has this whole thing about the hero's journey. So essentially when people come to me, they're feeling lost, they're feeling pressured in life, or they're feeling like something big is going on and they're not really sure what and how to, how to get through it. So I bring them through like a version of the hero's journey. So I teach them about their ordinary world. We'll say their limited beliefs that make them feel stuck. And we, we basically kind of hit those hardest. Um, then I get them to move their body because when they develop a better relationship with their body, we work on their health. Then they start to depart the ordinary world and they're mm-hmm. going to experience new challenges. But because they're developing confidence with themselves and who they are and shattering old beliefs, they're stepping into the ordinary, out of the ordinary world and crossing that first threshold to become a, a better version of themselves. Kind of like uh, Luke Skywalker going into the cave when Yoda's like, only take what you need. Right. But yeah. when he goes in there, he's so afraid of what's going on. He takes his lightsaber. Next thing you know, he's fighting uh, Dark Vader and all these things. Right. Well, because yeah. everything you need comes from within. But if you don't mm. see that, you're going to come up with all these excuses and limited beliefs. So we, I do that in a 12 in a week cycle, essentially departing from the ordinary world, get them to kind of trust me as their mentor and guide through, and then to bring them back. So they're shedding all these limited beliefs about, you know, who they are and what they, what they think they need to be. And then also releasing the, the need to be liked and loved and seen by everybody else and to see that everything they need comes from within. And then they return back to their world as a new person. Oof. Tell me more about the shedding the need to be liked and accepted and being fully okay with ourselves. What's give, give me some some hot tips or a process to start tackling that. To want to feel seen and heard is, is human in life. The difference is, is that is when you lose yourself in the process to make mm-hmm. someone else happy or to mm-hmm. make your worth into like something else. For instance, like, okay, we're just, you know, relationships are the easiest, right? Like, all right, I want to be loved. This person likes me so i'll do well do you you know what's the easiest one is guys buying girls flowers right (laughs) yeah yeah. so what are you really buying those flowers for probably to get laid or for her to like you right and so that's the need to be like if i do this then this will happen right well love thrives on freedom we can't control love so if we're trying to buy love or have all these expectations we're missing the point and the same thing comes with life life is about being free. We can't, I can't control who you are. You can't control who I am. The only thing we can control is ourselves. So wanting mm-hmm. to be fe- feel seen and heard is great. But when we lose ourselves in the process, that's where all the crazy limited beliefs and stories and downfalls come from. Yeah, I think that's a great point of having expectations going into things. It's almost like 
it's almost like when you, you do a good deed for somebody and you're like, well, they better pay me back. It's like they didn't sign up for that. You know, yeah. they didn't sign up for this this good deed contract. So, yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. The Bhagavad Gita verse two is like, um, you know, you're entitled to the fruits of your labor, but not the uh, effort, the, the results after something like that. I don't know, quote by quote, but basically, essentially do the work. And then let yeah. the universe decide where it needs to go. Yeah, yeah, and have faith that good things will will come of it, despite what our our hope is. You know, in the long run, at least. And sometimes good things won't happen. It's part of life, right? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. You have a tattoo on your left forearm, and it's of the words "nowhere to go." What does that phrase mean to you? It's also the name of your book. So, <laughs> what does it mean yeah. to you? Okay, so this one took me a long time. Uh, to really get into concept. So because this wasn't supposed to be called Nowhere to Go. It was supposed to be called Fuck the Rules, but it would have been a totally different <laughs> book because yeah. I was bre- breaking the rules, shattering the identity, which is really cool. And I ran a course. But so Nowhere to Go essentially means that no matter where we're at in life or what we're doing or who we are, all of us have the same result. It's death, right? And so in knowing that, then rather than trying to chase life and always get to the next point, what can you do right now to embrace everything you are, right? Because you can try to be someone or something or getting a new relationship or start a career. But if what you are doing in life doesn't match with how you're feeling and how you really want to show up to the world, then you're creating and living someone else's dream. And then that's going to create this tug of war. And that's going to create the limited beliefs. And that's going to create all these heavy, all this heaviness and stress that you really don't need. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it sounds to me like nowhere to go means you got to start looking at yourself. You got to start acknowledging. Yeah, it starts with you. Yeah. Listening to what you want and, and sending it. I was for me personally, and I think a lot of people do the same thing. I was running on this windy road to nowhere, trying to always get to something, right? To hit mm-hmm. the next milestone. But what happened when I had it all? I was miserable and almost took my life. Yeah. Right? And now I'm not worried about where I'm going next. doesn't mean that I don't strive for excellence. It just means that I am taking it one day at a time. You know, that's a good point. And I think going back to the type A personalities is the idea of putting our self-worth into other things is oftentimes equivalent to once I reach this goal, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy with myself, aren't I? Then I might love myself, right? Once I reach my goal, then I'm set. And it's like this constant, mm-hmm. constant lie, right? It's a lie we tell ourselves to push, push the can down the road. Kind of how you're saying. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Like if you're always like, if I do X, Y, Z, then X, Y, Z will get better. You're still putting yourself worth in something. Yeah. Right. And you're, going to be miserable no matter what happens right there's all that research that out there right uh, a lot of people who have a lot of money aren't the happiest in the world for good reason it doesn't solve it doesn't solve emotional problems it's an external thing that can't can't hit your heart yeah i mean that's what i tell people all the time you know close your eyes and take a few deep breaths and ask what your heart wants like what does it yeah. truly want oh i don't know well guess what if you don't know you have some work to do Start moving your body. Start detaching from social media and, and expectations. Well, go give yourself permission to go on a hike, go to nature, do some yoga, to have some meditation, right? 
You got to do something to get out of your head and into your heart, into your body. Because we are supposed to feel we're freaking human. How does this play into your role as a father? Before the the idea was, as long as I provide, I'm good. I just show up and I'm I'm here and then I can, you know, whatever. But now you're more in tune. Now you know what's going on inside of your own heart. How does that play a role into fatherhood? Yeah, it's still very challenging, but I cry all the time in front of my daughter. Mm. And, you know, and I, I make sure to let her know that it's not her, that it's just that I'm crying because I'm, I'm sad, I'm worried, I'm frustrated, and that I tell her everything to be okay. Um, and I'm also, I stoop down on her level. Like when she's angry, when she's crying, I ask her like, what do you, why are you angry right now? Like, what do you want? I know you don't want to wear this for school, but why, like, this is, this is what we have to do. So why don't you want to wear it? You know, mm-hmm. I try to basically get on her level mm-hmm. and see what really, what it's like to be at her age. Because again, we have all these expectations of what life is supposed to be, but she's a little five and a half year old human, yeah. right? She doesn't know all of these worlds. What she knows is only in her world and what makes her feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get down on her level as much as I can, I know that she feels safe enough to explore the world and to explore options. And then I can just guide her as she, you know, in the right direction, hopefully. And show that it's okay to express those emotions, right? I think you being that example of like, yeah, I'm, I'm sad or frustrated or whatever the case may be, but I am able to express it in a productive way. Yeah. She knows, she knows if I get angry, I say, daddy's going to go uh, to the bathroom, take a few deep breaths and I'll come back out. She's like, okay. (laughs) I understand that. Go ahead. (laughs) Take your time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's nice. George, we are coming to the final question of the podcast. We've made it. We're almost there. But before we do that, I want to say thanks for sharing your story. And I don't mean just with me. I feel honored that you did share it with me, but I mean your journey and your struggles and your triumphs. I think they have a deep impact on people. And I think they're going to continue to resonate with people as long as you continue to share your story. And I think your heart to help others and to allow them to reach a higher version of themselves is, I think it's really, it's really admirable. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. I tell people my mission in life is to empower others to overcome the toughest days of their life by sharing my story authentically. So, you know, you can find your voice, connect your heart and really unlock your potential. And I think you're doing just that. The final question of the podcast is, what do you think it means to live a fulfilling life? Mm. So I think that is when you are literally choosing to live in the direction of your heart and dream, Mm. right? Versus like doing the thing that you should be doing or need to be doing, right? And so a fulfilling life is, is, is of that. Right. And when you're doing that, the universe is going to bring it to you to really ask you, how bad do you really want the life that you say you want? Yeah, I think that's really good. Where can people connect with you on the Internet? How can people get in touch with you, George? I know they're going to want to. you got an amazing story and an amazing heart. How can people reach out to you? Yeah. So you, you got me in, in a crazy situation. You can you can go to Amazon and get the book Nowhere to Go. Um, it's available in three different versions. Um, you got the ebook. You got the um Paperback and hardback is going to be on sale a lot during the holidays. So great time to get it. You can go to Instagram. I'm always there, but I'm actually weaning off social medias here. And because I'm a writer and creator and I believe in my words, um, if you really want more of my writing, I just created a Substack. You can go to my website to check that. And then I have a medium. So on Substack, I'm going exclusively to a paid community in January where it's five bucks a month and you'll get exclusive articles and stories and essays to empower you to overcome what you're facing. 
And then also every Friday, I have a Friday flow, which is raw from the heart, unedited. It's the only unedited writing I ever do and put out. Um, that's on Medium, and I'll continue to do that. And then you can also get me on my podcast, The Art of Tough Transitions. Love it. All those links will be in the show notes. Please go check them out. Say hi to George. Read his stuff. Yeah. And we'll make it happen. Don't be a stranger. George, yeah, I'm, I'm very open to anybody who reaches out to me at any time. And, uh, you know, if you're in a hard spot and you can't afford the book, send me a DM. Reach out to me. Send me an email. George, The Art of Tough Transitions. And I'll get you a book. Oh, I love that. George, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, brother. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was the episode you just listened to. It uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. The real reason you're still here. You want to know the answer to the riddle of the week. Why do dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. <laughs> a hole in one. Oh, man. Keep that joke in your back pocket when you hit the links next time, huh? Don't forget to leave a five-star review and to share this episode with your friends, family, and anyone else that you happen to talk to in a social environment this week. Let them know that you love them, you care about them, and I will see you next week. Bye!